the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. And welcome to Ourgasm. This is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender. I am Lindsay G. I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. And I am Melanie Peppers. I use she, her pronouns. And I am Amanda Barr, and I also use she, her pronouns. Awesome. Uh, we are really, really excited to talk to everybody today on the topic of sex and disability. Uh, but before we dive into that, Lenny, take it away. Um, in this podcast, we use the heteronormative terms of gender binary of men and women under the understanding that there are agender, androgynous, bigender, pangender, and gender fluid norms that exist outside of cisnormativity. While we tend to use male and female as shorthand, this is not meant to undermine the very serious role of colonization in violence against two-spirit and non-conforming individuals. Even more so, this is not meant to obscure the reality that two-spirit and non-conforming people are the most likely to experience sexual violence as we have mentioned in, as we have mentioned in earlier episodes. We do not believe in the gender binary without fluidity, which is a Euro-Western construct that forced a strict gender division on our societies, which itself is a form of violence. Very fucking true. Well, thank you, Lenny. Uh, so everyone, I am excited to say that on our podcast today, we have the amazing Amanda Barr. And Amanda is here to talk with us about sex and disability, but... I keep putting this off. I keep saying, let's just wait a second until we start talking about it. But Amanda, <laughs> can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about where you're coming from and, you know, what your deal is? Yeah. So uh, me right now, I am doing an MFA in studio arts and an MA in art history. Whoa. But uh, previously, I was, at, I had an MA in Spanish and modern languages and I was I've been in education for around 14 years now wow. which you know has is pretty much because of growing up as a kid with disabilities and a student with disabilities who went through a lot of abuse and a failure of the education system to protect me and to not only protect me, but to serve me. And I think that's really how I ended up going into a field like, like language because I wanted to communicate. I loved the idea of learning other languages uh, along with the history and culture um, that are attached just in a way to be able to reach out and communicate with more people than just those who share my language and culture. And in that, you know, becoming an educator was a way to teach others to do that. And I learned really quickly in, in my undergrad that I was pretty good in the classroom setting, mostly 
because I do have this, this kind of in with students in that I understand what it's like to come from, from the struggle of, of learning access and, and, you know, not really being expected to do much. So not being given any attention Hmm. and it, 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 in, my experience as an educator, it's given me a different insight into the student experience. So it allows me to kind of transform my classroom, at least into one that includes people, despite what obstacles they are facing. Mm. So after first grad school, I kind of got a little more into art as a coping mechanism for some stuff I was going through. And it, it really snowballed and ended up <laughs> being something that I wanted to get more into and teach. So I came back for an MFA and I really like art history. So I added that degree because it was available. Yeah. <laughs> and absolutely love all of that. Actually, that's a little bit about how Amanda and I uh, met. Uh, my PhD is in kind of art and media as resilience. And so uh, our paths were bound across in this little town, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, like just a personal history, I was diagnosed when I was five with what was then called petite mal epilepsy, which um, is now termed absence seizures. So not the grand mal Oh, that right. everyone's kind of familiar with when you say seizure. Yeah. Mine were more um, just like flicking the light switch off and then back on again. Okay. Is my brain would just shut down for a second hmm. and then I'd be back. But by the time I'd be back, I will have lost muscle control and often bladder control. And then sometimes it's so quick that it's just like I paused to think about what I was saying for a little too long and then um, caught back up with the conversation. So my parents thought I was just a real space cadet of a kid. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize huh. that what I was actually uh, doing was having seizures. So they just thought I was really ditzy for a long time. Oh, wow. And I had chronic migraines to go with that because when your brain is really stressed with the seizures um you will have migraines and headaches and yeah so from such a young age i didn't realize my head wasn't supposed to hurt all the time like i thought that's just how oh. you felt uh -huh. and so like i would say like i think my head hurts but i didn't know what the scale was for that yeah, yeah. i had no comprehension of it and so I was having what most people would consider a debilitating migraine, mm -hmm. like constantly, like that was my level, um, which was cool to find out and actually start getting treated because I was like, wow, it doesn't hurt to have the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So then a few like... years ago, I, I, I also found out that I have um, some kind of connective tissue disorder similar to Ehlers-Danlos. Mm. And, but uh, it is unspecified for now, which is cool. Oh, yeah, fun. 
fun, fun. <laughs> I'm sure. And uh, as well, I, I from decades of neglect and abuse, both in my childhood and as an adult, I have been diagnosed with chronic PTSD. Yeah. So I'm wow. just a whole ball of fun. Well, <laughs> I, I'm having fun so far. I don't know. <laughs> with you, I mean. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, but I mean, it's super freaking awesome to me that you are, that you've sort of made it your mission to provide for other people what you didn't have provided for you as mm -hmm. a student. Yeah. And honestly, that's how I've always phrased it. Like, I just want to want other students to have the kind of support and the resources that I never got. Yeah. Because it's been so hard for me. Like I was told I wasn't going to graduate high school. I missed so many days of school and mm -hmm. they didn't think my brain had the capacity to really get beyond that. Wow. And I've had to sort of fight for everything, you know, to sit, to get accomplish anything in life. It's like, well, you, I mean, I don't know if you could do that. I don't know if that's a good idea. You mm -hmm. hear that a lot. Like, yeah. are you sure you're capable of that? So, you know, just to, to show people that it's a possibility, but to also to like help make those barriers lower and provide a little more access. Yeah. 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 And there's, I think, a huge value for young people like at any at any stage of the education process particularly to be taught by an educator who is open about those obstacles that they've faced and um because it it just i feel like this is probably something that we're going to be talking about a lot today so i'm just going to like go for it and say something that I feel a little weird saying, but like it, it's not often that we see someone in a position of authority that we can understand to have disabilities. Um, and yeah. I recognize like I, I still really, really grapple with this in my own life. Like um, I grew up with rheumatoid arthritis from the time that I was literally an infant. Um, and I have sort of a similar situation to what you mentioned, which was like growing up in constant physical pain, but I had like no concept of it. It just, that was just life. And like, um, I've been medicated for pretty much my entire life. Like these are just normal things to me. And it's interesting, like as I get older that I start to look around and realize my own limitations physically, um, because as I get older, they get worse physically. Um, but I realized that, like, I don't think I ever thought of myself as someone who's affected by disability. And that, that a lot of that might be because I just never, I never saw anyone with disabilities that looked anything like mine. So I just didn't. I didn't put myself in that group, but it's kind of like I'm looking back over my life and it's like, well, yeah, I definitely am a disabled person. That's a whole conversation. Um, 
my, my mother to this day is like, don't call yourself disabled. Hmm. You're not disabled. And I'm like, yeah, uh, yes, I am actually. Um, and that messaging that disabled was bad mm-hmm. that I got so much as a child that um, it was imperfection, that it made you inferior, uh, that it made you um, actually my mom called me defective at times like um you know god got this one wrong this one was oh my factory defect oh my god Um, i literally once had a doctor do x-rays and when he brought them back in like to look at them with us he was like all right here's what we're gonna do we're gonna send you back to god with a note that says please remake And I was like, I was like 16 and it was, I thought it was a funny joke. So I laughed. And then it was like later, I'm like in the car on my way home. And I'm like, holy shit, that was fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. But similar. And I had then like my mom thought it was funny too. So then she repeated it to everybody, you know, and it's. Yeah. And that kind of messaging is really, really intensely embedded in our, in, in a lot of cultures, actually. Like I've heard, um. It's God didn't break the mold with you. It's God should uh, should have replaced the mold before he broke made you because yeah. it was broken. Fuck. And that that extreme amount of messaging that we are defective, that we are, um, you know, not right, that we came out wrong. Um, that oh, I loved my mom. Also, still says like, well, it's a. Uh, it's my I sinned somehow and you were my pen penance. Oh my and I'm like, <laughs> the messaging to me in that is so horrific. Yeah, like you have been inflicted on a parent. Yeah. And that Jesus. oh, that's a whole thing, especially with autism and vaccines that I could talk about for years because like when you are like I'd rather my kid die of measles than get a vaccine and possibly have autism. The messaging that people with autism receive from that uh, is supremely fucked. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And there's this this concept that we call invisible disability, Mm -hmm. where like with RA and with most of the things I deal with, they're not, people can't see you in a wheelchair. They don't see you using a cane or sign language and they don't see braces or sometimes I do have to wear a brace, but they don't see the signs of disability. And so they think, Oh, well, you're not disabled. Yeah. You don't have a disability. You can't use that label because there are people out there with it worse than you who have to use a walker Mm -hmm. chair, but disability just really means that you have something that affects your ability, um, to live your life to the full extent. Like something that, I mean, it's like the way that I explain obsessive compulsive disorder to people is that it's not a disorder. Like you can't say, oh, I'm so OCD. It's yeah. not a disorder unless it it actually disrupts your life, unless it's right. a complication that gets in the way of you living your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some disabilities can be managed to the point where they don't interrupt your life anymore, but you still have a disability because if you stopped taking care of yourself, they, they would 
re-manifest. Like right. if I take my yeah. seizure meds on a regular basis, I don't have seizures anymore. That doesn't mean I don't still have epilepsy. Yeah. Uh, we have the same issue with my husband who's blind, uh, but he's able to see like the top with the top part of his eyes. So he can see like people, um, but um, he can't see like what you're doing with your hands or anything. And so when people go to shake your hand or something, he can't see that. And so he misses out on like a lot of social cues that happen with like from your head down with your body. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just walking across the parking lot is like dangerous for him. Uh, but when we park in handicapped and get out and walk, people are like, look at, they're just mm. like walking. There's nothing wrong with them. You know? Oh, right. Oh, the, yeah. They're, they're, oh, yeah. There is so much shaming that goes on with, with parking spots. Like I've, I, I, um, so part of how I got diagnosed with the connective tissue disorder is I about 10 years ago, cracked one of my vertebrae somehow, probably when I, I fell skiing and in the process, also three of my discs, um, either herniated bulged or one of them was completely smashed. Oof. And I could, couldn't even put on my own pants for like six months. Wow. So I, I had a placard for a while and I have access to one if I need it now, um, which I don't usually, unless it's really icy. Cause if I fall and hit that spot again, I would be paralyzed because yeah. mm-hmm. one of my discs is hitting the spinal cord. Mm. Uh, and I've had people leave nasty notes on my windshield because they saw me getting out of my car and walking. Wow. I have a friend who's often on in a wheelchair and if she parks in a spot and is walking that day and often she's like in and out during a single day um because you know you only have so many spoons and that's a whole concept Mm. of like how do you have enough to shower and go get your groceries or is today just a grocery day and you don't shower because you can't stand up that long and she's gotten screamed at by people and had things thrown at her yeah god <laughs> the yes. people who think like that they can see if you are disabled or not based on what they can see and think that they have the right to judge you it's it's pretty massive mhm wow i also have a problem with like the university um the university handicap parking system because if you're just parking at the university for the day you don't go over there every single day there's no point in buying an entire um pass like for the semester and so uh one day my husband came to pick me up from class parked in handicapped and we got ticketed because we didn't have the placard uh so what are you supposed to do like buy you know, walk all the way over to the ticket places, which aren't always handicap accessible. And, or you just take the $20 ticket. Uh, we just take the tickets all the time, but it, at least it's only ridiculous. $20. I've had them be a hundred dollars before. Huh. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they, they build up. So throughout the semester, they get higher and higher and then they boot your car after a while. Wow. 
Yeah, I tried to, um, in the winter, get a pass from the university because it's really icy. And they're like, well, you still have to pay for the regular parking pass. Yeah. And then an extra for the handicap pass. And I'm like, what? well, hello, I... gatekeeping. Do yeah. you know how much... Do you know how expensive it is to have any kind of disability in the first place? Like, let's just tack on to that. No problem. Let alone in a pandemic where I don't have a job because I'm not teaching. I'm in grad school. And also, what job am I supposed to go out and get? There's, like, not really a dearth of jobs available right now. And I'm not going to go down to Albertsons and get a job clerking at a at a like a grocery store in a pandemic right. yeah. i'm immunocompromised right? yeah oh that's awful that's just... so yeah it's um and, and the way that it's handled also by the university is just like so i recently found out that the way like say scholarships and stuff are given to students per department is based on equality, meaning every student gets an equal amount. Even though we, we give financial statements and we give all this mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. So you mean a student that comes in, all four limbs, working healthy, doesn't even ever go to the doctor. Like some of these like 24 year olds come in and don't even have insurance because they're just like, I'm cool, I'm healthy is getting the same amount of money as someone like me who my medical bills every year are like $10,000 and up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. That's not an access issue at all. Right. Especially when we just established like one of many, many ways of why it's more expensive for people with disabilities to attend college. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah fun story about college and disabilities. I went on a study abroad when I was uh, an undergrad over the summer to Spain. And the professor that was leading that study abroad had not taken the time to read our medical, like any of our paperwork, basically. She did not read our medical release files. And when we got there, the, the time change uh, had screwed with a new medication that I was on um, for my seizures. And I started like phasing out during my morning because we were also, our classes were 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then they would go, we would, we had siesta and then we would go from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then everyone would go out for the night and some nights they'd stay out till 5 a.m. And we had 7 a.m. classes. I have to have more sleep than that. Like my brain just does not function on that little sleep. And so I was definitely going home earlier most nights when I could find someone to walk back with me. A lot of times I was having to walk back alone 20 minutes from where we were in school to the apartment that we were at alone you know, in another country, yeah. I'm 21 and I'm like, uh-uh, this isn't cool. So I ended up staying out all night just so I could be near people I knew. 
and mm-hmm. feel a little safer. Yeah. So I go in and I'm like, hey, I'm so I'm having some problems. Like I'm having like mini seizures in my morning classes because I'm taking my medication too late and it's fixing with me. And my professor who had not read my form, she's like, what are you talking about? You don't have seizures. No one told me anything about that. Like you liar, you liar trying to get special attention. And then, I mean, this goes best with the gestures, um, but oh, I'm Amanda and I think I'm special because oh. I have seizures. Oh. And if you're listening on the podcast, you might remember a Trump presser where he made fun of a disabled reporter. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what my professor did to me. What the hell? And yes. And I, I mean, I called the university. I called and said, like, oh, my God, this is happening. This is ridiculous that someone would do that. And turns out she had the paperwork. And the university told her that I was probably trying to get a free pass for drinking and not doing any work in Spain on my study abroad and just to ignore me. And it turned into three months of like every day of the week we had a meeting as a group with this professor. And every day I was mocked repeatedly in front of my peers and in private meetings for being disabled. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, And I, I submitted a formal complaint when we got back, but also that was when I had my very first PTSD diagnosis. Ah, yeah. And um, she sued me for libel and defamation of character for for filing that complaint. Oh, my God. This story just snowballs. It just gets worse. Um, And then she failed to comply with court orders, like, for turning in any of her paperwork. I went through, like, a ton of, of interviews. And she also sued my mom for calling the school and being like, hey, what the hell? Wow. It lasted, (laughs) like I was, I graduated undergrad and I went to grad school and I finished grad school before this lawsuit was over. Oh, Jesus. And I can only discuss it now because she died last year. (laughs) I had to sign an NDA with the the lawyers and the school and all of that Mm. to never talk about that trip to never talk about the lawsuit to never talk about any of that um because they didn't want it going to the media the the school (laughs) and i have all these documents of the school telling her like it's okay she's just lazy she's just you know trying to get a free pass on these classes trying to just you know part you know how you know students and how they like to party in foreign countries and not do anything (laughs) I'm like, I had a fucking 4.0. Yeah. I I just want to, like, point out that you're, like, the opposite of lazy, by the way. Like, you're working on two master's degrees right now, and you already have one. (laughs) Like, Yeah, I think some of my overworking tendencies kind of stem from that trauma of being told on a daily basis that I was lazy and stupid and pathetic and a whiner and all of like all of these things being like drilled into my head. Yeah. 
by this person who would go out like the university didn't do a thing they let her keep teaching these study abroads Ooh, like, she had tenure she when she finally retired she was a professor emeritus and she got all these awards jeez and and yet what she did to me was like so vicious mm-hmm. yeah such like a terrible personal attack mm-hmm. well, and like over a prolonged period of time too yeah. like you know it's like it's not a good thing, but it's a different thing if, like, somebody has a lapse of judgment or of character, you know, and is, like, a dick. And then later is like, oh, hey, I was a dick. I won't do that again. But, like, continuing to make that same decision day by day over a three-month period, that's just that's just somebody who is a dick. No offense to dicks. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, dicks. You didn't deserve that. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, there was also some slut-shaming thrown in there for fun. Oh, I was a young female college student, and I was like, what? My what Lord. What is happening here? Yeah. Hmm. But that is um, sadly pretty standard for how universities perceive disabled students. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and that was like, that was asking for a very simple accommodation. I was just like, can you talk to my morning teachers and let them know that I am essentially like give them a DSS note, like let them know that I have this condition. It's documented and I'm not just falling asleep in morning class. Yeah. That all spiraled from a simple like accommodation request like a very simple one too. Not not even like trying to overhaul anything or I was like, I'm not trying to get a free pass on anything. I just want you to like cause I've mentioned it to them and they're like, um, you know, proof for it's a no go. Wow. I'm so, I'm so sorry. sorry. And that's kind of this the thing that students face where everyone reads them a kind of a disability clause at the beginning of the semester that's in the syllabus. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's kind of worst case scenario of what can happen when you disclose a disability yeah. in the classroom, but it happens. And so that fear of being, um, like, attacked mm-hmm. for disclosing a disability or, um, you know, treated poorly or just, it, you know, written off as a nobody who is not worth anything because you disclose that you have a disability both in workplaces and in school is is really Mm -hmm. like intense and so there's so much shame and students who are like i don't want to disclose it so i'm just going to do my best to pretend i don't have anything wrong with me and it's not something that's wrong with them it's just something that they it's a something you right uh, you know have to work around it's it's mm-hmm. you know it, there are pathways and we should be accommodating this but a lot of times we just shame people for asking for help yeah yeah and it's it's really unfortunate and and kind of to segue that into 
into sexuality. Um, I'm good at that. <laughs> that turn. Um, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same way. Like the way that that people get mad at 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 disabled people for parking in spots, and some people even get mad that there are handicapped parking spots. <laughs> well, um, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, um, that's why I, I left. I, probably I doesn't make any sense to me either I'm like you're just angry for no reason you just say mad to be mad right yeah. maybe you just need to go work on yourself yeah exactly <laughs> take a time out like people have gotten mad just that I say I'm disabled and people don't think that Disabled people are like legitimately human beings with all the wants, needs, fears, mm. urges yeah. as anyone else. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you, you can't be in college. You're not a whole person. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, good for you for trying to better yourself. <laughs> it's. <laughs> Ew, what a gross thing to say to somebody yeah it, there's a lot of really gross things that get said um it's a lot of infantilization i think yeah and i think like my my sort of take on um the idea of that that sex and disability need to be talked about as not separate things but as one thing is that very much that infantilization that happens and and i think that the two topics go together also because it's um there are two topics that make people intensely uncomfortable oh yeah talking about disability talking about sexuality people get really uncomfortable and shut down and don't know what to do so they just don't talk about either subject much less putting those two subjects together it's just like no go and because we don't have any kind of acceptance culturally of this being something acceptable to talk about, we don't talk about it. And it's just this big, dark, scary hole in the conversation. Yeah. Like people, I mean, when, when you disclose to someone that like, oh, my mom has cancer, people are all like, uh, uh, uh. like, we don't know what to say to that. Imagine saying like, I have cancer. And people are just like, oh, oh, um, yeah, my, my, um, my grandma had that one. Um, and, and then they're just like, let me know if you need anything. And you like never see them again. <laughs> it makes people very uncomfortable to consider that like, um, they don't want to step on anything like uncomfortable. They don't want to say anything wrong, oh. but they also don't know what to say. Right. Cause they've never heard anyone talk about it. Yeah. Um, I think a large part of this issue, um, especially that I've noticed here, like in Montana is, um, that there's like this pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mentality here. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at a society that believes that there's only one way to be 
productive uh, and um, no other way is acceptable. We're looking at like this uh, capitalist mm. uh, colonial view of other types of productivity that other people can bring to the table. And that's dangerous uh, when you're trying to uphold like these like capitalist colonial white supremacist like rules like gatekeeping rules to society i personally one of my favorites is that you know a lot of people believe that a woman is only legitimate like her like women's purpose is to be a vessel for children and uh, i have heard this messaging so much in my life that like well if you don't want children or if you don't have children what is your purpose on earth right right and i'm like hi thanks <laughs> i am like because of my genetic condition unable to have children right so are you saying that my existence is pointless mm-hmm. okay thanks bye yeah like a right and wrong way even to be a like gendered person like I mean, the the discussion during COVID especially has been very, very damaging because I can't tell you how many times I've heard like, well, disabled people are just a drain on society. Uh, we, Oh, yeah. That narrative is especially strong here in Montana. Yeah. If you ever read the comments on a Missoulian article, oh, I recommend never it. Read if, you ever look, if you ever look at the priorities that our state legislators who are working in, you know, appropriations where they put their money that's deeply rooted in Montana, like, thought processes. Oh, yeah. The, the idea, like, so many places are cutting Medicaid benefits. Yeah. Yep. And, and so many people think that, like, all social welfare programs go to is, like, people who are worthless and on drugs and, and yada, yada, yada. I get Medicaid. I get Medicaid because um, a majority of my income goes to medical expenses. Yeah. But I am... Well, technically, I'm, I'm on drugs, but none of them are really recreational. <laughs> Unfortunately. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I have brain issues, and I so I try to stay away from things that are um, at all mind-altering, because I've, I've had plenty of visual hallucinations without my consent in my life from from seizures. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really need as much them. fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, they don't seem like a fun trip for me. Right. Yeah. yeah like, that's not something I want to do on a weekend away at yeah. the gorge. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. I would pass. I would pass on, on that. But also, like, I'm a productive member of society, I like to right. think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, do, I do things that are that are for the general good of of the public. I no, volunteer I, a lot. But I I feel like I don't have to I shouldn't have to excuse my existence either. I feel like a lot of cultural attitudes around People with disabilities generally um, come from this idea that, like, in order to accommodate anyone, we have to do extra work and we don't want to do extra work. So we're going to be whiny and bitchy and mean about it. And we're going to try to devalue people who want to do things because it's easier for us if they just stay away. Um, And so we've we've developed all of these systems to make that easier for more able bodied people like. Um, making it harder to get parking if you are disabled, um, 
making it so that if you are on disability, you can't make more than a certain amount of money so that you can't actually participate in so many things or... Do you know how many disabled people have to get, like, or if people become disabled, they have to get divorced mm -hmm. because their income is, as a couple, is too much to be on disability? Yeah. So yeah. they either can't get married or they have to get divorced and live separately in order to remain on disability. It's yeah, it's like disgusting. Really, unfortunately, common trend. Yeah, mm -hmm. which I've, I've heard a lot about that lately, and it definitely is. It's like if you want this measly reward that we will dangle in front of you, you must basically remove yourself from being, you know, a quote productive member of society because you can't try to work a full-time job and be on disability. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, well, we're, we don't want you to get in our way, so we'll just shunt you off to the side so that we don't have to work too hard at letting you be a part of society. And uh, I've actually I, lost a job because their insurance company rejected me. Wow. Um, Pre-Affordable pre Care Act, when insurance companies could reject you for pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I lost out on a job that I, I, I'd gotten the job, but their insurance company rejected me. And yeah. the company was like, we can't, we can't provide you insurance. I used to be so afraid of that happening that when I would go on a job interview, I would just right up front be like, you should know I have a health condition. So if you want to put me on your insurance, it might be expensive and that might be a liability for you. And the people doing the interviews would always be like, oh, no, don't tell me this. Like, I... This is not stuff that I'm supposed to know. And I'm like, I just don't want you to be mad at me later if you hire me and this mm -hmm. becomes an issue for you. Like, I just want to put it out there. Um, it's it, there, it's like you, you have to walk this incredibly fine line to succeed if you are a person with any kind of health condition, let alone a health condition that causes a disability. Um, and I think like what the, the kind of general direction I was going in with, with that is that um, in the world of sexuality, especially when it comes to like sex education, um, anything uh, involving the exchange of money for sexual services or education or anything like that, um, I feel like there's a similar feeling of, well, sure, it would be nice if we could accommodate folks with disabilities, mm -hmm. but that's more work for us to consider people with different needs. We've been asking for video conferencing, working from home. And, you know, a lot of people yeah. have this issue. Um, and before the pandemic, we were like struggling and struggling, trying to get, you know, this more accessibility to that kind of thing and more accessibility to like virtual classes and being refused like oh we can't do that we don't have the technology to do that mm -hmm. and boom global pandemic as soon as it affected yeah. all the abled's right uh we had that technology like the next day yeah right and it was it was like that and like now uh half the classes i'm in are uh both taught online and in class and it's the same kind of education that we were getting before. They could have made those accommodations years ago. I can tell you that I was making those accommodations years ago. I had a student in a Spanish class that I was teaching at a community college who had a recurrent cancer and had to go back into chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. 
at a far away, um, like a, a distance. I uh, think he was in Lawrence, Kansas, and I was in Iowa. And so it was four or five hours away. And so she was staying there and just basically living in the chemo ward because it was cheaper than getting housing nearby for a twice weekly yeah. infusion. Yeah. So I just had her Skype in mm -hmm. and I set up my computer like she was one of the students in the classroom and did my lecture. And then she, when they had to do like speaking to each other interactive, she just turned the laptop and she talked to the person she was next to. And that was in, I want to say like 2013 or 14. Mm -hmm. And her advisor, everyone else was telling her she had to drop out of school. Wow. Yeah, they tried to tell me that when I had one of my kids, uh, that, and he was young, that I should just drop out for the semester and yeah. tend to my And I told her, I'm like, there's no reason you need to drop out. Like, yeah, if I can do this in a class that's 100% about communication mm -hmm. and interacting with your fellow students, and I solved it with a laptop. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about this is, is it doesn't just open this up to an entirely like whole group of people like education, but you can actually use these same techniques to be able to teach college classes in jails and prisons and allow that access to people but who are there as well. A lot course. of people don't want them to have that access. Right. Yeah, How do we gatekeep effectively if everyone can access things? Right. And, and the other thing is, is like, if people are getting educated in, in prison or in jail, then that changes uh, the perspective of like, these people are criminals, and they mm -hmm. broke the law. And really, and that's they're, not they're the also a lot of people, they're there. broken, and we have to put them away, because we can't let them out in society mm -hmm. with the rest of us normal people. Yeah. And, okay. and that's how the conversation is, there's normal people, and there's disabled people. There's criminals right. and there's normal people. Yeah. Like, and that vision of what a normal person is, is, you know, there's, cis, there's white. Also, there's also normal people and then there's sex perverts. Yes. Right. right? <laughs> and if any of those things overlap, if any of the non-normals from any of those columns overlap, like, oh, God help us. <laughs> yeah. It is literally, literally the end times. I've been talking about this for my reservation, like how I wanted to have, um, I pitched the idea of putting, like allowing the reservation to have internet for everybody. Right. Uh, that everybody has access to internet and also that you should teach college classes to people in jail on reservations. And both of these came with problems with, <laughs> yeah, both of these came with like, uh, they're just going to look up porn. Well, so? what the fuck do you think I'm doing? Like when I'm not right? making this podcast, you know, I'm, like, like <sighs> you know, the, people are going to do that. It doesn't fucking matter. The point is that people have access to education. People have access to like being to able to go to class sexual you can't material get up because too. it's too painful. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, I believe, I fundamentally believe that sexual satisfaction and pleasure is as much of a fundamental human right mm -hmm. as anything else that we consider that. And not that like, not that we should necessarily be letting people, you know, like access porn that is illegal or that is, right. that is you know, it like hurting people. But I mean, 
letting prisoners have access to porn. What is, why would that be a problem? I mean, like, there was a court case that I I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. There was a court case where they had a witness to a murder and the defense's way of getting him de-qualified, basically, was to say he watches a lot of porn. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Yep. Because people think so poorly of anyone who looks at porn, never mind the fact that pretty much everybody looks at porn. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the other thing is that even if, uh, if you, okay, if that has to be your way to argue this, then if there is a communal, like, internet, then it's probably much easier to see if somebody's looking at uh, illegal things. You know, I ran a computer lab in undergrad and yes, um, (laughs) we caught, we caught a lot of students using porn in the lab, which was actually a game that, cause it was, it was back in the day when everyone had a desktop in the lab and there was a person up front who had access and we could view the screens of anybody. (gasps) Um, and we could also take control of your mouse and keyboard it was a language lab so it was the kind of thing where your teacher could go up front and have like and point you to the right things and stuff it was weird software but the other lab attendants and i would have a real fun game of like if you're monitoring and there's only like a couple people in the room check what's on all the computers because guaranteed if there's four people in the room one of them is watching porn <laughs> just not allowed on university computers but it's real fun to take control of their mouse and keyboard <laughs> and type in like, this is God, I'm watching you. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> so mean, but do you know how many of those people were jerking it underneath the table and I had to clean those chairs? Uh, okay, fair, fair. You're in- There's a time and a place for that and yeah. that's in your dorm room. Well, right. And, and that's like, there's kind of part of like the larger issue that like I see kind of linking disability issues and sexuality issues more generally is that like if we don't talk about sex and we don't talk about porn as a real thing, people literally can't control themselves because they don't have a context to place it in. They don't know how to behave. They jerk it in class <laughs> like or in the computer lab. Like, right, exactly. I have, a, I have a really unfortunate story about this. Um, uh, just really quick. I think this is a great place to also uh, remind everyone to read Lindsay's book, Watching Porn on Audible. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I have a book. It's called Watching Porn. Um, it's a memoir of my time as a journalist uh, covering the world of adult entertainment. Um, and it's very much meant to talk about those things that we don't talk about and help people mm-hmm. I don't know, you know develop develop language and skills about like how you do talk about these things because they're fine it's okay we can talk about them and yeah. i did get to narrate the audiobook version which i am very proud of yeah <laughs> awesome yeah uh, but i, I, I want to hear your story. story yeah uh so where I went to school, we really didn't have much of sex ed. It was kind of the girls volleyball coach yelling at us that if you have sex, you'll get AIDS and die. Yeah. Um, but the, the kids in the, um, special education classroom did not even have that. (sighs) Like they just didn't get any, um, which K 
came around to bite the school in the ass big time. Yeah. When two of the students in that class who were also cousins started a mm. relationship um, because they were, I mean, we were in the same uh, class, I think. So they were like 15, 16. Yeah. And I don't know that how much actual education they got because um, I wasn't in that classroom, but like they were telling everybody about it at lunch. Mm. Oh dear. Oh no. Oh, oh no. But wouldn't it be nice if students were really like, oh no, instead of probably saying horrible, mean. I don't know if anything, anyone actually said anything mean to them. I think it was just like a, a shock went through the rest of us. Just like, we're also like 15 and 16 and what do we do? Right. Like, right. We don't know. I don't yeah. know if anyone um, in authority ever even found out. Huh. Like, I honestly don't know what happened with that. Um, right. And like, that's, that's the kind of thing that happens when you don't talk about these things. Like when you teach little kids that it's called like, that's your cookie. And that's yeah. your, your special place. And you don't give them the vocabulary and then something happens and they, they talk about it in ways that people don't understand what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when you've got like, you know, maturing people, like even adults um, with disabilities who've never been talked to about that, mm -hmm. who you, you want to protect and cuddle them and, and, mm -hmm. and save them from the dark, dirty world. They still have bodies. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, we see the same issue when talking about race, where uh, we had this argument in class the other day uh, where we were talking about how, oh, well, you can't tell your kids about that. And I'm like, well, people of color have to tell their kids about that because it's an issue that affects them. But it's horrifying to me to think that these kids are learning about sex in a lunchroom for women. <laughs> Right. Uh, instead of in the classroom. And it's also horrifying that the town that I live in right now teaches middle schoolers that abstinence is the way to go. And I've mm -hmm. butted heads with them before about this. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it still bothers me. Yeah. Well, it is like you, you have to equip people for the world. That is the purpose, right, of education, ostensibly. Right. And when you're not giving people even the most basic of tools for navigating life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're leaving people open to all of the ills that you think you're protecting them from by not talking about those things in the first place. And I think that speaks particularly to the special education classrooms. I think there's some places where it's actually prohibited to teach sexual education in special ed classrooms. Oh my god. Um, I don't know if that's still the case now, but there have been a lot of places where, um, yeah, it's considered immoral and, you know, I, I mean, I, there's definitely been cases of like, it, no matter what, it's definitely rape if the person is intellectually disabled. Mm -hmm. Like there's no possibility of consent. Um, I mean, sexual education isn't usually just about sex. I mean, it includes like, 
information about like your body reproductive health yeah right exactly and so if sex ed isn't being taught that means reproductive health isn't really being covered either right i mean if you get your first period and no one has ever talked to you about the fact that that's going to happen to your body that's like fucking terrifying that's a life and death situation you think you know like you the basic anatomy is basic for a reason like we need to have access to this information that goes back to this infantilization and I, i literally saw this conversation happening on twitter yesterday um there's a woman who's an audiologist um who has a cochlear implant and she was doing a reaction to all of those cute um, cochlear implant videos, reaction mm-hmm. videos of people hearing for the first time. Yeah. And she was just like destroying them. She's like, look, oh. one, most of those are probably non-consensual because they're children mm-hmm. and they don't realize they're about to go like viral on the internet. And two, for that, for most people, what you're seeing is not happiness, it's fear. because it's terrible she's like i can tell you from having two cochlear implants it's terrifying to suddenly have like all of this noise that you've never had inside your head it's like an explosion right if you look at the faces of those people many of them are not expressing joy yeah especially like babies and when you think about it like people who are hearing and you know, who can see are doing that in the womb. Like your body is teaching itself before you're even born how to like filter those sounds, how to like, yeah. you know, filter and those it takes, sensations. And then... it takes months or years to learn to filter, like to properly adjust to a cochlear implant. Yeah. And, and so that's a very vulnerable moment for people. Yeah. yeah. And, and really not one that, we should be watching for ooey gooey feelings. Yeah. There's even a word for it uh, in the disabled community. We call it inspiration porn. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, uh, show me off. Like, oh, look at this. It's like the Madison Cawthorn thing. Like, he was like, he, he stood up on stage from his wheelchair. Yay, let's elect him, even though he's sexually assaulted multiple women and lied about basically everything he's ever done oh that's that's not a problem in america though i think i think we've established this one i mean whatever you know that he was never gonna be a army ranger he never was an army ranger he would like everything about his car crash story was a lie blah blah blah. but to to be like the reason that we cheer disabled people on is because they do something um like stand up from a wheelchair so what if someone else doesn't ever stand again? Do right. do they not ever get a platform like that? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. you know, are we only given a spotlight for overcoming our disabilities and not for other things that we do? Right. Like, right. Like, is that our singular I mean, identity marker? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a I really defend, good way of putting it. Like just walking down the street with... um his prosthetic leg and somebody stopped him and was like you are so brave and he's like why because i walked down the street why am i brave can you tell me why i'm brave and the person was so offended because they were trying to compliment them 
That is my least favorite thing ever is when someone's like, you are so strong. You're so brave. If I became disabled tomorrow, I think I'd probably just kill myself. Like, I don't know what I'd do. Like, I don't know how I'd manage. And I'm like, bitch, you do what you have to do to get through the fucking day. Because if I didn't, you know, play through the pain every day or just, you know, push through every obstacle, I would not exist. I would not be here. So don't, don't tell me like, oh, I don't know how people who become paralyzed or who lose a limb like the Boston Marathon guy uh, go on with their lives after that. Like, and he even got married. Like, yeah, because he's a human being and he he didn't want to lay around like a potato. So he learned to walk again and he got married and he went on with a life because like you are not the sum total of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you aren't like, if you believe that you're limited to only being like, well, I guess I'm just stuck now. Um, yeah. You will be, but don't put that on me. Don't put that on <laughs> other people. What yeah. you think like, and, and I don't want to like, unless I out, I'm out here going like, am I not inspiring you? Like I'm going to be a public speaker on the inspiration speaker circuit. Yeah. Don't walk up like, Oh, <laughs> I've had people walk up and do like the, like this is another pet peeve is people will do like super religious people will walk up and do a laying of hands. Oh without asking yeah and and they'll just come up and they're like i'm gonna i'm gonna pray that you be healed and i'm like one do not touch me and two i don't need your healing like i have modern medicine thanks and a hundred percent of the time they ask for money afterwards oh my god yeah uh the awesome comedian um Michael Beers has a joke that isn't really a joke. It's an actual true story where he was just getting out of his parking, his car is what he was doing. And somebody came up to him and was like, there's a special place in heaven for people like you. And he's like, what? There too? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it follows you everywhere. Well, that's also like that's a that's another example of infantilization. Yeah. Like just assuming that it's okay that you don't have to give your consent before somebody touches you or tries to perform a spiritual act on you. Like that's kind of intimate. Like, um, no thanks. But it yeah, it's it's taking away it's not even taking away your agency. It's someone showing that they don't think that you have agency in the first place, which I think is a it's, lot of where you're, you're not this all capable of doing or the deciding for that... yourself because you oh, are less than. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. You are. I mean, I were. I, I did a little bit of. Yeah. Because I wanted yeah, exactly. to make sure I had my dates right. A little bit of like historic research on like disabled people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And. Um, So it was legal to forcibly sterilize people um, with disabilities in the U.S. until 1963. 
and it is actually still to this day legal to wow. force, um, like sterilize someone with it with an intellectual disability by parental consent. Mm. Um, it's usually like only in extreme cases, but wow, like uh, there basically there's uh, still kind of a genocide going on. Well, yeah, uh, and that's kind of disgusting to begin with. Yeah. Like if they're you know, is an extreme case where somebody clearly isn't able to give consent to sterilize them. Mm. What does that imply <laughs> about the people doing it? If you are disabled, you are 10 times yeah. more likely to experience gender violence, especially intellectual disability. Um, yeah. Like women with intellectually disabled, intellectual disabilities. And, and that pertains to things even like trauma. Um, are much higher like rates of tar like targeted um, yeah. for assault and and even long term mm -hmm. victimization because nobody really listens to them because they aren't seen as you know fully mentally fully. capable right yeah and that <clears throat> this is something I've been thinking about like. And it goes back to the education aspect, like, and particularly the sex education aspect. Um, if you are not giving people the basic tools, the basic understanding of how this works, you know, how, how even their own bodies work, you're basically setting people up to be victimized. If you don't mm -hmm. have the yeah. language and you don't have the the education around what your rights should be like in an ideal mm -hmm. world or situation and in some cases these people may not even have some of those rights legally speaking like what you just said about you know parental consent being enough to sterilize an adult in some situations like but if you're not giving people those basic building blocks they're already going to be at a higher risk to mm -hmm. be yeah. advantage ever hurt i mean yeah. you hear of it a lot um with people coaching uh intellectually disabled individuals saying it's okay it's okay mm -hmm. uh, there's a really famous case um from the east coast uh, her name was anna stubblefield she was actually an ethics professor at i believe harvard um and she she did this thing and and it was like she would take a person who is like non-communicative disabled, like severe cerebral palsy was this particular case. Um, and she would use small movements and, and gestures of this man's um, to guide, it's called guided writing. Mm -hmm. And she would communicate for him. Oh like kind of like a Ouija board, like she would use his small movements mm -hmm. to guide the letters and spell out things. And she claimed that he told her through this, through her interpreting his movements, that he loved her and um, wanted to do things. And so they had, they had in quotes, a sexual relationship but remember, he is basically um, non-mobile, non-verbal, 
And so it was really her doing all of the um, aggressions. Like she was giving him a blowjob. She laid him out on the floor and had sex with him. And then she, she says that he wanted to disclose the relationship relationship to his family. So she did. And they were like, Whoa, Nope. Uh, went to court and people are still kind of debating this a little bit because well, one, she was in charge of his caretaking and communication. So really she should not have entered that relationship because yeah, uh, that totally violates every ethical boundary of patient provider boundaries but they also stopped having him do any kind of therapy with any outsider i guess so he lost if he was communicating that's a big if if he was communicating he lost any ability to communicate after that um and if he had consented then you know it was his choice but we will never know if he did wow Mm. and it's it's all a big like if people are are non-verbal or non-communicative do they still like where do we draw a line right that's a really Mm -hmm. very fuzzy gray area but but as with many gray areas, and like, obviously, I know that there are a lot of intricacies to a question like this, because there's a lot of different people in different situations. But like, I always feel that with gray areas, the best thing that can be done is that this can be talked about. Right. Like, the more people are talking about it more often, the more we can start to develop clearer ideas about what constitutes consent in a situation like that. And unfortunately, this topic makes people very uncomfortable and they do not want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a a lot of cases of, of women who have been completely paralyzed, like quadriplegics who then go on to have children and, and people are just like, but how? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a, an able-bodied person doesn't get asked the kind of questions that disabled people get asked. Like people yeah. will full on ask you like on the street out loud, like, but how, how does that work? Right. How do you, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always the question. Right. Tell me all of the personal logistical details. <laughs> Tell oh, me yeah. physically how that functions. Mm-hmm. I am just so curious. I don't have any boundaries. Yeah, yeah, because you're an object, like, not a person. Right. Yeah. People use like the the veil of I'm just trying to be more educated about this, or like I'm just trying to be more woke. You know, I've, and uh, that's not up to people with disabilities to do that for you. You know, <laughs> to tell you how that works. There's a difference between being educated about something and talking about something and violating a person's uh, personal, like, space. Right. right. Yeah. There are all these yeah. conversations going around on the internet right now about, like, the vaccine passport and whether or not that's a violation of HIPAA. Mm-hmm. And 
and what what constitutes what can you ask a person because you can't ask someone like if they have a service animal what the service animal is for because that's rude right yeah yeah well there, there's like this whole idea that like um me as the normal person can ask you as the quote not normal person anything that i want because you are not you are not really a person with feelings to me. You are the other. And therefore, you to me right now, you are my source of education and information. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and it and people just like they're there. I don't know if it's insecurity about the whole vaccine thing or or what drives them to be like, I demand to know like what your accessibility issue is. Like why? Mm-hmm why do you get to do this and I don't? Or why do you get to have your dog in the store with you, but I don't? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why can't I bring my my peacock on this plane? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you can bring your cat. Like, what's the difference? And then you have to explain to me what's wrong with you. And mm. like, which what's a violation and what's not? Why is a vaccine passport not a violation? but asking me what my service animal is for is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I'm like, it's very clear that y'all don't think about these things on a daily basis. Right. Because when it comes up as, as you know, might be affecting you, you get really aggressive and hostile, but like this affects us every day. But it's also like very much like, inherently putting the other person like the person who is demanding this information um is automatically putting the other person on the defense it's it's yeah. like inherently and, yeah. yeah i mean it's called a microaggression uh right. but it's not micro at all and it definitely does not feel that way yeah, and it puts a lot of pressure on us to disclose information that we may or may not want to be public. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm, I talk pretty openly about most of my issues. Um, I don't, well, I mostly do. Um, like I've had a few things that I just wasn't ready to talk about at the time that were reasons that something was happening and people were like, but explain, explain. I'm like, "Mm, that's my very personal medical information. Uh So you like jumping down my throat is really invasive and rude and really condescending. Yeah. Hmm. Because once it's out there, it's out there and people will never like i've had people not want to be roommates at a hotel in a conference because they heard i had seizures and they're like Whoop. but what if that happens and i don't want to be responsible for that right yeah. yeah you you would not be responsible for me well yeah that's that's totally infantilization like someone else has to take care of you and you know I'm not asking you to be responsible for me. I don't want to pay $800 for a double queen bed hotel room by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I I just 
see any of you want to go have Z on the other bed, but I can tell that's not a, that's not a go. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I, if I need you to, if I, if I suspect that I'm having issues and I need you to like watch for me, I'll ask, but I didn't ask. Yeah. Yeah. Like grown ass adult can take care of myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's where like the idea of like having to do work for people with disabilities like comes back in. It's like, am I, but am I going to have to do anything? <laughs> am I going to have to do work? Cause yeah, that's, there's a, there's a specific word that has come up a lot for me, which is burden. Is it going to be a burden for me? Mm. Like, yeah. oh, that's, that's too much of a burden for me. I don't think we can manage that accommodation or whatnot. And I'm like, it's, you think it's a burden for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try being me. Right. It's a whole bunch of fun times here. <laughs> I definitely want to look. Yeah. Talk more about like disability in porn. I was going to say, yeah. Lindsay, have you ever discovered any of the, <laughs> the black holes of uh, disability porn? Yeah. I mean, porn with disabled people in it. Yes. Yeah. Like amputee porn is a big thing. Oh, oh, God! We gotta get my friend Jean on the, on the show sometime. She was um, Long Jean Silver, in I think the '80s became the first quote amputee porn star. But she was actually born with uh, I forget which leg. I think it's her left leg. Um, was she didn't have like a a. God, I'm going to forget all the details and I'm going to get this totally wrong. But I think like right below the knee is where her leg ends. And uh, so she was labeled as the first amputee porn star, but didn't really apply. But anyway, she made she did a lot of firsts on screen with her leg. We'll leave it there for now. <laughs> yeah. And there's uh, wheelchair porn and like there's so many different genres that people are surprisingly into yeah and i i have received some odd offers and huh. i'm like um didn't advertise that didn't really expect that to pop into my facebook dms but <laughs> <laughs> ah facebook dms the wild west <laughs> Um, yeah, Good for there's... you for embracing whatever it is that, that you know, motivates you. Just, yeah, I'm not it... particularly interested in being involved. That's another really tough topic, like, around this general topic is, like, you know, there's, um, there's a difference between embracing something and fetishizing something. And I think when, when it gets her? into areas of disability, that line is not clear to many many people again because it's not really talked about right in a way that's yeah. understandable to most people so yeah. yeah i would love to talk more about this um in the future though because <laughs> because we've been talking for a long time but yeah i mean for real i i would love to dig into some of these topics like the the smaller topics that we've done like small tangents on i would love to do full episodes which are like full tangents on those yes in the future um, so before we sign off, Amanda, is there anywhere that you would like to direct people to online to find out more about you and your work? Oh, man, I have um, 
an off and on relationship with social media, but I do have a website. There you go. Um, it's com, And that middle letter is an M as in Mary. And then my last name is the same as uh, someone's attorney general who should be in jail. <laughs> kind of a sore subject. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on and talking with us about all this, all this great stuff. Like, I just, I love, love, love talking about things that need to get talked about more. It just gives me life. I mean, so. that's our jam, yeah. is breaking down colonial ideas of uh, everything. Yeah. I love ever. talking about it to people who are willing to actually talk about it <laughs> and not, uh, like, shut me down. <laughs> Yeah. Well, high fives all around, everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, high fives. Um, so real quick before we sign off, I just want to uh, tell people out there who are listening, um, you know, this podcast is like a labor of love and we totally enjoy doing it. But if you are interested in what we're doing and you want to support us, there are a few ways that you can do that. Um, the first one is on Patreon. Uh Lenny has a Patreon that helps to fund what we do here on Ourgasm. Uh, that's patreon.com, Lenada Peppers. Um, you can also, if you're listening on a podcatcher or on a platform that allows for reviews, if you want to write us a glowing review, that would be fantastic. That really, really helps boost us, um, helps more people find us when they are searching for podcasts in the first place. Um, and if neither of those are for you, uh, we do have social media. We are at Gasm Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if you are on any of those platforms and you want to retweet or share or comment or like, any of that helps us be seen by more people. And if you are not on any of those platforms and you don't do the internet at all, you can still tell your friends about us and how awesome we are. That always helps. Yeah, get a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're put it in a really it, highly but... visible place. Neck, yeah. neck tattoos. Yeah, of our logo. Very good idea. Mm -hmm. Cool. I don't have one of those yet. I have a few others, but. Well, I know what the three of us are doing as soon as it's safe out. <laughs> Hot tubs and tattoos. <laughs> oh my god! Best night ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tattoos after the hot tub. I don't want to get an infection. I was going to say that's the <laughs> worst idea I've had in a long time. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. <laughs> we'll get uh, probably staff as well. <laughs> oh my gosh. Then we can all go to the hospital together. It's going to be such a bonding experience. Girls night at the uh, ER. At least one person can go to the hospital. I don't think we can afford for everybody to go to the hospital. Yeah, I just have to get somebody to smuggle out a whole bunch of antibiotics for the rest yeah. of us. <laughs> can I get a go bag of that penicillin? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, we'll just like have one person loaded up with antibiotics and then we'll like connect each other with uh, IVs. This plan is getting better by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, ciao, listeners. We'll be back in two weeks with something else that's amazing. We just are not sure what yet. No, we, we know. We just want to surprise you. That's it. That's what's happening. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Ciao. Let our love.
be a flame, not an ember. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh. It's here that I must be. My heart entreats. Just hear those savage beats and go put on your cleats and come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire. It's a flame with desire. Which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love. Every time I hear drums, and I envy the rose that you held in. Your teeth, love, with the thorns underneath, love, sticking into your gums. Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches. The last time I needed twenty stitches to sew up the gash that you made with your lash as we dance to the masochism tango. Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain, then kick me once again and say we'll never part. I know too well I'm underneath your spell, so darling, if you smell something burning, it's my heart. Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the masochism tango.